Hello. Why, it's fantastic to come across you in such a large world. Hey, thank you for stopping by. This is a new episode as the, well, the placement of this particular uh, voice of mine at this point in time, while you click play at the beginning, it uh, indicates that this is the beginning of the podcast. And more importantly, it's a new episode. Uh, but what if we do it the other way around? A lot of people have experimented with doing the conclusion at the beginning. And then, I don't know. It just seems, uh, just go with go with the direction. I mean, I don't know if you're, kind of some people experiment with storytelling and they go the beginning, the middle, the middle and the end and the end. Uh, the, I, I, I actually respect and I think the, I think that's a commendable feat uh, because I, I would just lose track. I, I'm, to start with, I'm not an organized person. I, I In fact, it, I, I thought of dabbling with the idea of writing a book or some kind of thing. But I'm just like, man, fucking, are you crazy? Because once that thought leaves my head, leaves my fingers to the keyboard and keyboard leaves it on the screen or the document, I can't catch myself going back editing. Oh, what uh, does this thought need to be refined? I don't know. I'm just like, hey, fuck it. It's out of my face. It's to the audience in this form or on the stage and I like that. I like the rawness and maybe it's laziness. I, I take it. I'll take it with the good and the bad but well I've been thinking of this idea of ownership right Um, because we seem to have a lot of things that we are told we need Uh, I mean constantly like I've taken this time to kind of back away from shopping, right? Like to buy shit for myself. Because, you know, growing up, it's not like we didn't have, we had, but it was just, it was 90s, when I was a teenager, it was 90s India, and uh, it was a not as abundant when it came to options, right? We didn't have the likes of food takeaway. I mean, we had food takeaway at home delivery, but it was limited. Like we had a pizza place, a burger joint, and uh, we would go um, out a couple of times, but we would enjoy it. And of course, that doesn't mean we didn't crave it sometimes. Like, ah, and then yell at your parents going, ah, why can't I have pizza? Blah, blah. Uh, it's, I think the conversation just changes. Uh, but I think the content is similar. With, uh, what I mean by that is that the arguments are similar. The nature of the argument is similar. The tantrums are similar. It's just that the reason is different. Like not, earlier it was, why can't I have pizza once a month? And now it's like, why can't I have it every meal? Two Maybe in 20 years, like my the kids, like, why can't I be a pizza? Who knows? So the thing is interesting. But as, you know, even with clothes, the thing, you would really look forward to it with a sense of excitement, right? As your birthday or you're, you're, you're going on a holiday. And a holiday also would be once a year or twice a year or uh, going on a plane was exciting or everything had a sense of buildup, which was nice. Uh, and I feel now with budget carriers, with fast food just blowing out of everyone's asshole, with the, the likes of Swiggies and uh, instant gratification apps where you get things in 10 seconds, in 10 minutes, there was a tab, there was a tab, right? Blink it. And they said, deliver in 10 minutes. And they realized like, oh, that's just fucking shooting yourself in the foot. So they said, deliver quickly. That's safer. Even Domino's, whose worldwide uh, presence has led them to believe that 40 minutes is what it takes. And these guys are a bit rich. So they got fucked. Yeah. But everything is so easily done. And I feel, yeah, you're like, that cheese stick was not as good. I'm just going to get another one. Junk this. Yeah. You... 
end up with shittier quality. Like I remember that I uh, used to order pizza from this place in Bangalore called Chef Express, and they had a chicken tikka pizza with stuffed crust. And now, of course, it wasn't the gooey, creamy, cheesy stuffed crust that pizza offers. Now, it was a very interesting stuffed crust. It was stuffed, yeah. And it was interesting, but it was so good. Maybe, of course, you have to apply memory context. Also, I kind of romanticize, and we all do this. We go back nostalgia. That place is so good, and you eat that. Twenty years later, it tastes like a rat's testicle. Uh, I haven't tasted one, but I'm assuming. But this was genuinely. I can only refer to my memory, and it was delicious. And that a chicken burger, not so good, but it was really good. And I enjoy. Why is my voice sounding like this? But yeah, it was a really good pizza. And um, of course, I remember going to Madras for a show, Chennai. And apparently, these people were from uh, based in Chennai, and they opened in Bangalore. The Bangalore one I couldn't find because I wanted to revisit that nostalgia. Uh, but I went to Madras, and I found this Chef Express, and I ordered it from there. It was it was awful. It was like a goat's depression. Yeah, really, really. Uh, I mean, a goat doesn't have much to be excited for and have has low expectations in the first place. But if if it's his depression or her depression, must be pretty much in the dumps. So, uh, sorry, I apologize if you hear the traffic noise. I'm doing this at a time that I usually don't because we have a lady helping out with the baby who's extremely loud. So it's traffic noise or the loud nanny, and I pick traffic. So imagine how loud that girl must be. Hey. So this idea of owning, I think, is just a little ridiculous because that was something we were asked to do. We were aspired to save, invest, build a home, own a car, own jewelry, own expensive shit, or whatever your your perception of expensive, right? One person's is another, and that created this idea that it's never enough. It's never you get a Louis Vuitton, you want, um, you know, here I'm going to shoot myself with my ignorance. Bottega Veneta. I don't know. Is that Bottega Veneta? Boutique? No, that's I think a toilet brand. I don't know. My sister knows this shit. I don't. But say you buy Samsonite, you want to me. So it's not, okay, I know. I know a little bit of travel baggage. I apologize to all the ladies who just go. We just said Bottega. Maybe I'm right. Who knows? Uh, I don't know the brand. But yeah, so there's never thing because there's always someone more than you to kind of envy, and there's always someone who has less than you, so you can shit on them, or you can say, ah, fucking peasant. You, you know what I mean? So. The problem with that is all in ownership. And then you have people who go beyond their means. They spend all their money in loans and in credit to appear that they have it all, but it's just a house of cards. And one lockdown comes, it reveals that you are really fucked. So I met this friend who lives in Germany and he was telling me how he rents everything from his uh, phone to his AirPods to Apple, almost at Apple. <laughs> That's I think I, I hope there's an Indian company out there who just who just heard that they can then they can sponsor this podcast, where you can have Apple AirPods, but if you want to filter Indian sounds and you want to isolate Indian noises, you need to have AirPods. <laughs> So that's just an idea if there's any person out there who wants to incubate this. So this idea of renting is interesting uh, because you get, you know, shit that you can return. Like in America, I think you lease cars, you rent cars, not rent, but you lease cars, you pay whatever something and anything. Yeah, fuck it. Anyway, you don't want it uh, because after eight years, you want a new thing. You want the new improved thing. You want the Tesla that... You know, which runs on hopes and dreams and goes from 0 to 100 in minus 2.1 seconds or something like that. How does that work? I don't know. So then everyone has access to it, right? If you, I'm sure. So I feel that'll be interesting. Like everything from, I mean, I think clothes, that's an option now. Uh, 
like you subscribe to a service and you get clothes you 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 stay at airbnb the fanciest airbnbs in the world for like a day or two so you i'm saying the experience is possible so everyone experiences it and the bitterness reduces mm. or it could create a bunch of assholes just go trash a place saying if i can't have it no one can which i feel is also happening so i don't know i i like this detachment but i feel it's also being done to make people go you don't have it now work towards it and be come a slave of our system which is not the right intention i feel if everyone can afford it some people can afford 8 months or 10 months because this idea of buying a beach house buying a flat in the city a farmhouse in the country all this bullshit dude fucking i can't maintain it only so next thing you know you're giving it out airbnb and a guy who fucking didn't even know what the idea of a mezzanine level with a butler service and a bidet is probably going to a shit in this or do I drink out of it but that's equality and the people who are crying and dying equality equity diversity equity inclusion who knows probably go there to this manor house where elizabeth ii farted in 1962 and they're like i don't like this no wheelchair access and they are then the whole argument online will explode again all all manor houses need to be fucking broken down and yeah well, clearly the word manor i know the different spellings aren't there different spellings i hope my mic is on hey anyway so i don't know let me know what your thoughts if you have thoughts at all or you just tune in going eh, something comes out of his face and if it one hour is gone that could be a reason why it's just noise white noise maybe brown noise even noise is racist fucking it it's a pointless world not really if you lick yeah if you lick if you look at life and you look at the world from what i just gave an example of like everything is offensive everything is hypersensitive for you then yeah what's the point but otherwise you can actually take small things yeah and enjoy it well My guest on today's episode is Mr. Ian Chi, a filmmaker. He used to work at Jubilee, uh, a production company that put out content, but now his friend and him are setting up their own production house. In today's conversation, we talk about Ian's exploration within and how he discovered this idea of never being good enough in his own eyes while he's trying to change the world around him. He's doing more and more and more, and when he looked at himself, he feels less and less and less. And Well, we talk about how this is tiring and you get to a point where you're burnt out and you're just like how much is enough and it kind of uh, is what I've been talking about but Ian uh, through his journey helps uh, identify certain things that were difficult that were easy things that he is hold, holding on to things that he wants to do more of and all in all a very insightful young man if I can say so myself I'm older but Uh, this kind of conversation shows that age doesn't matter because each person's experience is unique and uh, the number of years spent on this planet doesn't matter but if it's spent uh, on introspection reflection then you really can connect despite how young or old a person is so ian chi my friend if you're listening to this thank you i appreciate you coming on this podcast the best podcast in the world of course so you guys or you especially are in tune are in store for a lovely chat so without further ado here's mr ian chi on the soapy rao show till next time goodbye god bless take care of yourselves cheers mr ian chi welcome to the soapy rao show thank you so much for joining me 
It is a pleasure. Thank you for having me here, Sandeep. It's nice uh, to speak to someone who's um, staying up so late to do the podcast. Usually I'm the one waking up early. It's like, I feel like one of those call center people, like waking up early to take a US call. But I appreciate you staying up and doing this. And uh, well, you know, where do we begin? I think, um, first of all, it was a lovely talk you gave on the TED platform about your journey. And that's something which sort of really struck a chord with me when... Um, we live in a world where a lot of people sort of want to avoid looking at themselves and sort of want to point the finger outward saying that's, um, you know, the them versus us uh, narrative has become very strong, I feel. And listening to someone talk about how vulnerable uh, their journey has been and sort of laying it out bare on a, on a public stage sort of really appealed to me because that's something I recognize is very important. So maybe for people who haven't watched the talk if they haven't if you haven't guys you should go check it out but maybe we can start with sort of what um sort of led to this revelation maybe what led to this idea of what uh, you looked at when it came to attachment when it came to the activities of what you saw yourself doing with um your life and your decisions to kind of change the environment around you so what were those kind of processes like for you yeah, I guess just for the people who haven't seen the talk, um, basically I talked about just I burned out really, really hard a couple of years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, you know, I, I don't really even talk about this on the talk, but I think I burned out more than once, too. Mm -hmm. um, and my entire life, I was kind of raised to go out and change the world and do amazing things and do good for the world. And one of the things that I knew that I needed to develop within myself was to become a good person in order to do if I want to do good things, I want I need to be a good person, right? So I constantly worked on developing myself, improving myself. Um, the only problem was that, you know, I was doing all these amazing things and I had reached millions of people and things like that. And I always wanted to fulfill my potential more, but it, it always felt like I, there was more potential to fulfill and more mm. people to help. So, you know, I, I win all these awards and stuff, but, you know, a few years into it, I'm still wondering, okay, when am I going to feel like I fulfilled my full potential or that I made an impact? And, you know, I, few more years of doing that and I, I still feel the same way and then eventually it just gets so tiring I'm like okay I, it feels like I've it feels like I've really you know tried to you know become a good person and change the world and all these things but it was just exhausting at a certain point so I, I really burned out um, very hardcore I would say about uh, end of 2020 right um, and that was the first of several burnouts I think and I'm still in the process of healing but um, I guess to kind of answer your question, what kind of led to that change and kind of, you know, um, you know, as we were talking about going from looking outside to looking within, you know, it took me a while to even understand that concept, you know, like mm -hmm. still trying to change myself or trying to change the world. Like it, it, it seemed like I was trying to do the inner work, trying to become a better person, but, um, but at the end of the day, it was still in order to accomplish something outside of myself. Whereas now, you know, the the I'm really trying to just do like be able to be completely OK doing nothing, which is deceptively difficult, actually, <laughs> like deceptively hard. <laughs> yeah. There's all these yeah. voices that I'm being lazy or that, you know, I need to at least be working on something or, you know, helping someone out or, you know, doing something to improve myself or whatever. So I realize it's like probably really deep conditioning on a scale of 
like a global scale. You know? I was going to say that, you know, that's such a strong uh, narrative for most of us when it comes to yeah. breaking that conditioning, um, whatever it may be, right? Because I come from a society or even a time in um, growing up, you know, I, I was born in the 80s and uh, growing up in India at that point, the entire sort of value system was based on, or rather your self-worth was based on outcome and also based on how much you achieve, whether it's with social status, whether it's financial status, whether it's, um, I wouldn't say emotional maturity was given too much importance. I don't think it still is in many cases, but it's mainly how you are perceived by your peers or by your uh, friends or by your relatives. And what happens then is um, you kind of want to do, and especially when you sort of, what you just said, when you reach this place where you want to uh, say, you know, I want to break away from it. I want to start looking at what really makes me who I am and sort of work with what this body and mind in this particular life has given me. It becomes very difficult because you, every step forward, every step you take forward with, um, okay, you know what, I, 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 I make peace with this fact about myself, then automatically when you say, okay, you know, that's great, then you've got like, but yeah, wait, wait a second, what about that paycheck? What about that? What about that big thing, that big, where's where the big wins? So small wins are discounted. Yeah. Uh, the big wins have to have a price tag. And it, the moment you say, oh, but money's not all of it, but yeah, like, yeah, but then, yeah, you can't get anywhere without money, you know? So mm -hmm. I, um, how much, you know, how much for you was, um, the, the, you know the idea of all these things we speak about, right? The inner, the inner questioning, the the idea of self worth, or the idea of looking at what really um, you want to do and why you want to do it. The motivating factors we have, we you know, and especially for you because uh, you kind of come from this generation of people uh, who were exposed to the internet a lot sooner. Like I. I think clicked on my first web browser in 96, 97, when I was already 15. So my formative years were without the uh, computer and the internet. I mean, of course, we had computers, but it was more to mess around. But the idea of Wikipedia, Google, all that came when I was almost 20. But for you and people younger than you, it was a part of your formative years, right, in some way. So the information was a lot more accessible. And as a result, I sense a lot of people knowing what to say and knowing um, words like anxiety, knowing words like, um, you know, burnout, sensitivity, political correctness, and all mm. these things are known, but how much are they actually felt? Because this journey of what you just said, it's not easy and not doing anything is really, really hard because you might be able to, you know, in an argument, in a conversation, say the right things. But how was it for you to going from saying the right thing, knowing the right thing, to feeling the right thing. Oh man, that is a fantastic question, and that and and yeah, there is a huge difference. Mm. Um, I'm also one of those people. Ever since I was young, so I come from a lineage of pastors. My grandpa is a pastor. My dad's a pastor. So I've always had this deep spiritual DNA in myself. Nice. So since a young age, I've always been reading these sacred texts or seeking or, you know, looking for enlightenment of some sort, you know, whatever that means. But, you know, I realized it kind of led me down a lot of, uh, um, you know, I, I believe all mistakes are good at the end of the day, as, you know, mm. when you're on the other side and you kind of see how it belongs. But, but, but I will say, you know, like you're saying, you know, in all these books or in my own seeking or social media or the Internet or what have you. I think I got programmed 
with the idea of you know truth and worth or what have you but not necessarily embodying it um until i just really burned out (laughs) (laughs) and then and then you start to realize oh what i had read this whole time this is actually what they're talking about whereas i i genuinely thought i knew what it was talking about before but it's almost like when you're in the matrix when you're you know the mood it's like you don't know you're inside the matrix when you're in the matrix or, you know, yeah. the Socrates, you know, the, the Plato's cave, or I don't know whose analogy of the cave. You, you just don't know if you're stuck inside the cave until you go out. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. but I've also thought to myself, like, maybe people do need to burn out or maybe they need to have this pain to have that realization. And it doesn't come until you're right. You go from head knowledge to embodied, you know, experience of it. Because yeah. no matter how much you read or no matter how much you hear about these things, you're not actually going to understand until you get your hands dirty, you know? Um, yeah, it's a term I think I'm sure you've come across it called spirit- spiritual materialism, right? Because even in this mm. path, you get sort of stuck in the same, um, you know, the ego takes over and you're like, oh, you know what? I read 10 more books than you and I met Osho and you didn't. And so even like yeah. you see on Instagram, like the yoga, yoginis, where the idea of yoga is, is is a much more holistic approach but then it becomes about how many more asanas you can do and how long how much longer you can stand <laughs> yeah. on your head and so it's in, competition absolutely so yeah i mean what i find um you know i and i find interesting i want to f- find out your experience with this is when you especially are in a society like america uh, in a U.S. society where especially now you have extremes, right? But very polarizing ideologies, very polarizing oh, yeah. groups of people um, where, you know, it almost feels like the middle ground, the gray area is kind of wiped out and you have very distinct ideas of right or wrong or justice and oh, yeah. injustice and race and gender, etc. So you are, of course, as, as, a, as a filmmaker, I think you have told a lot of stories and you kind of see the world through stories and uh, perception is very important to you. So how did maybe before you got to where you are, because the burnout is in, I think in some way, I think is essential because when you're, I think a lot of people right now, I just want to, you know, you hear about the comfort zone and breaking the comfort zone, but I think many people are just numb to the idea, right? Because it's very easy to just sort of use various benchmarks as a way of life and say, you know what, I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've achieved, I'm, I've struggled. I've, 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 you know, gone through the grind, et cetera, whatever the words they use in corporate life and just sort of be in that space without looking. And as you said, the cave without knowing that there's something out there, but for you, how are these tools that you use to live life, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's, you know, reading all these books also from a young age, but maybe let's just talk about the filmmaking part. How was that, um, journey for you, uh, using the tool and the idea of storytelling, um, helpful in navigating a society like, uh, the one you live in? Well, ever since a young age, and I talked about this in my Ted talk as well, my dad told me that, um, stories are one of the most effective ways to just share life lessons, insights, um, just good messages with people because instead of telling people truth in a, you know, direct point blank way, it kind of walks them through with character step by step until they reach a, a certain thing. And so watching movies growing up, you know, reading books and things like that, um, incredibly influential to me, you know, watching Goodwill hunting every year of my life growing up, I feel like I, 
you know, learn a new life lesson every time I watched it or the Shawshank Redemption or the Matrix mm. that we're talking about right now. It's like amazingly helpful metaphors to just talk about life and make sense of this. It's like life is so goddamn chaotic and it's all these crazy things happening that story is a way to kind of distill and make it a little bit more understandable for the the limited, you know, human uh, palette and, and just make it entertaining, too. So yeah. I think, you know, that was what appealed to me. I wanted to use story to make complicated things simple and make it entertaining so that um, you could just spark new conversations, unite people, empower them. Um, and that was kind of a through line growing up. That's That was my kind of life mission. And it still is. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the only problem is along the way, I think, you know, I, I decided somewhere along the way, I went from loving what I did to trying to be successful with what I did. And that's when I started to really you know, expend a bit too much energy. It's like the difference between what you um, feel your heart is calling you to do versus what you think you should do, you know, the strategizing, mm. right? The, the, yeah. what people think is the best way, you know, you can be successful, right? Can you elaborate a bit on, more, a bit on that? Because I, I kind of want to figure out your process of distinguishing the two, uh, because the distinction is, maybe clear for some people and especially in an in a time where everyone talks about pursue your passion follow your heart all these <laughs> lines you hear it's very difficult because it's almost like the reward system is so ingrained in us that success oh is yeah. is the most important outcome and then you of for course me. hear successful people saying no it's not important it's the process it enjoy the journey or um yeah. you know follow your heart or but for someone who doesn't um I mean, I always say this, right? You always, when it comes to the, the rags to riches stories, you always hear the riches. And once the riches has come, you hear about the rags, but you never hear about someone who's from rags to rags, right? Uh, so that person, <laughs> like even as comedians, you never hear about the comedian who's been doing it for 30 years, who just loves doing every festival, who's hilarious, but has never got the break and who's not managed mm. by the biggest company or on Netflix. You hear about the Dave Chappelle's who of course give you amazing mm. advice, who are amazingly funny, but they also played the game, right? I mean, Dave Chappelle talks mm. about getting away from $50 million, but he's come back. You don't hear about the mm. guy who went into obscurity, but still loves every joke he or she writes. So I want to understand mm. for you as a filmmaker or as an artist, how do you remind yourself with every project that um, it's what I want to do, the, the right story, the right ingredients, the right message, the right the right process. I mean, there's so many parts involved. I, I'm not a filmmaker, so I don't know. But how do you choose to, what is the process? Because it's a very conscious decision, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I, and I, and I, and I do, I don't even know if it's something that will be figured out. I think though, what I've been reflecting on recently is curiosity. Mm. What are you really curious about? And Part of the reason I feel like I burned out um, in the past is because I feel like I learned what the formula is to go viral. I learned that if I press this button, I will get this result. And so I kept pressing that same button. But when Mm. you press a button where you know what the result will be, it becomes boring. There's no unknown to it. There's no surprise or there's no wonder anymore. Whereas I think the most fun I've ever had on projects is I'm going to go into this with curiosity and i have no idea what's going to happen this might you know crash and burn to the ground or it might you know 
I don't know what you you have. There's no guarantee, right? There's no guarantee, but it's very much just exploring. Um, I think, and if it feels more like exploring, I think that's probably a pretty good sign. So, but it's you know, it's 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 very difficult. Um, I'll just speak for myself. It's very difficult for me to 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 clearly distinguish that sometimes. Um, but like, you know, maybe the simplest analogy is like, you know, when I'm posting something. Do I feel like I'm posting this to get likes or am I genuinely interested in this? And it doesn't really matter what the response will be. The trick is balancing both, though, where it's like, you know, if you're going to yeah. you know, pursue a career in this area to integrate a certain level of practicality, which I which I think is also realistic. So, you know, I was listening to a YouTuber who I really admire this guy, Hindsight, and he has a, a strategy where it's like, you know, I make I think he said, like, I make four videos for me and one for the public you know and that way nice. he's always getting some new audience but he's also staying true to himself so you know it's, it's got to be so intentional what that strategy is you can't just get lost trying to be viral all the time um then yeah. that's when you burn out which what happened to myself no that's that's i think a really nice approach because i think that's something which i realize um keeps me going you know at least i mean i haven't done um, i haven't written new material i haven't done shows in a while now it's been a few months but i think that risk of failing is exciting but also if you when yeah. you do fail you're like oh why didn't i just go with the safe stuff but if you keep going yeah. and crushing with the safe stuff you're like yeah i mean am i becoming i mean at least i have this thought process like am i becoming dull have i lost my edge mm. so i never people ask me do you write your set and do you memorize it do you have every word thought out because that's a very sort of American approach to stand up, right? Every word is tailored mm. to make sure it delivers the biggest punch. I'm like, I don't even write my set. In fact, I don't even write down the, pre I write down maybe an, a, like an idea or a bullet point, which reflects the premise. And I just go wing it mm. and it fails more often than not. But when it does get right, I'm just like, wow, it felt so good. I mean, I'm, I'm a director's mm. nightmare, right? Because I don't know camera angles. I'm not going to look at camera a, when I'm recording a special, because my special, I, I don't even have the same joke which sounds the same in five shows, you know. So I'm, a, I, I, I like it though. That's amazing. You keep it fresh, uh, yeah, every time. It's like try, totally I mean, real. What everyone's getting is totally real. Yeah, I mean that's why I love it because I mean it, it's obviously a similar premise, but the wording is different. Um, I mess it up sometimes. I get it right sometimes, but I, I really sort of when you just said what you did, it sort of made me look back at some of the shows which I really enjoyed and why I enjoyed it because it made it feel really real at that point. And that yeah. stuff is not really captured by the camera. Mm. Because when the camera is recording, I'm just like, totally, I'm like, oh God, I have to be scripted. I have to look a certain way. I have to, wow. and then it, the entire sort of experience gets butchered for me and as a result for the audience, you know? So it's it's interesting you know, to mention that. I, th I While you were talking about that, I just thought to myself like, now this might be totally wrong, but I feel like the future will be a lot more of that kind of authenticity where it's like you are witnessing in real time. And maybe that's the draw of live streaming, that it's totally real and, you know, hopefully, you know, not too scripted because you see the exact thing for what it is. I remember going to a magic show in Las Vegas. Yeah. And I was watching the show and it was it was cool to see all the tricks and things like that. But the, I remember feeling that the magician was not into this and that mm. this magician had done these tricks probably like hundreds of times before like that same show like there wasn't any spirit of like his joy and so even though the tricks like 
yeah, it's like, you know, somewhat of a spectacle and like cool, but I, I didn't feel a joy. I remember like, you know, but like so much of the performance or so much of whatever people are delivering, like, I think people feel it. Like you, you feel the spirit if it's there or not. And if it's something that is, you know, like polished and perfect and, you know, kind of like just, you know, guaranteed to, you know, not have any mistakes. It's like, it's almost like it loses its luster somehow. It's almost like there has to be an element of failure or something going wrong that people are there with you. Maybe. I think, I think it swung another way because I think earlier that was how uh, entertainment was packaged, right? Flawless. You have the characters Mm. who are representing certain ideals, which uh, people aspire or wanted to aspire towards, or at least the, media networks wanted you to sort of have that idea of, oh, this is the perfect oh, yeah. man, the perfect husband, the perfect father. Yes. But I feel now with so much of that, it's kind of going to the other extreme. But, mm. you know, what What I find very interesting is this idea of seeing someone flawed. I feel, uh, I want to understand from you because filmmaking is very different. It's a lot more uh, organized in some ways. So the, the method to the madness has to be there. But at the same time, the leaving to chance there's a lot less scope than someone just holding a mic and winging it, right? And that's mm-hmm. also why I, I, it's a very fascinating sort of medium for me uh, because I'm not organized. <laughs> I, I, I if, I have to, if I have to make a film, I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, I just hold a camera and follow me kind of thing. Because I do that a lot too. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Now, I, I want to understand from you because in this uh, sort of climate we live in, it, you have to kind of also, you know, as you said, you know, the YouTuber you spoke about, you have to do it for yourself, but also understand what the audience wants because otherwise no one's going to listen or watch. Um, how do you navigate this climate of audience who come to your um, creation with their own things? Because there's this idea of what you can say, can't say, what you can talk about, what you can't talk about, of offending and not offending, of certain like using characters because it's considered inclusive versus using characters mm. because it's appropriate. Mm. Like a story has certain actors and, and certain protagonists and antagonists and there's no space. Like I, I'll give you an example, right? Like uh, I was asked to do a film for this lady in Australia and she was talking about her love story of how she went to the Beijing Olympics as a volunteer and fell in love with a blind uh, judo um, uh, martial artist, right? And the idea is how then they, they after the Olympics, the Special Olympics, they, they went, Paralympics, whatever it's called, they went their different ways. And it's a story of unrequited love or that's the story she wanted to tell. And then she reached out to me and she's like, you're visually impaired and I think you'll be a great fit. And so then the compromise is, do you get a blind guy to play a judo artist or a judo artist to play a blind guy? So the, the <laughs> it is just a perfect example of the world, right? Like, do you get an actual disabled person to play disability or do you get an actual actor to play a dis- disabled role? Um, of course, yeah. the woke culture community would go, of course, you get a disabled person to act. But I, mm-hmm. being a visually impaired person, would say, no, if it's a better actor who can do the job, then obviously go for that. But that mm. opens a can of worms, which I think, I don't want to get, I don't want to open right now, but I want to ask your process of how you uh, tackle something like that. Uh, yeah, I've failed, I, I have faced that in the past. Um, I mean, the most obvious examples being like representation on the videos that we used to make at Jubilee and making sure that people are represented, which is super important, but, but also mm-hmm. like personal choices in narrative films where, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily uh it's more of a personal story and you know getting a certain type of actor to represent a certain type of character but Mm -hmm. 
it's I'm just streaming out loud here and but I think a lot of it is really contextual um right now I live I I think we live in a time when people are a little bit particularly sensitive so you mm. so it's like you know it's it's almost like sometimes you have to be a little bit too polished and I I don't necessarily think that's the healthiest thing all the time I think that I think that artists should be able to express themselves authentically in a way that is not harming others but if it illuminates a truth um or you know even subverts people's expectations um and polarizes but in a way that's challenging i think it's a good thing it's it's i yeah it's i don't know i'm i'm thinking about all the different cases it's 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 probably so nuanced and every situation yeah. is different but hmm i think as long as it is trying to highlight truth and bring out the truth so for example let me let me let me tell you about like do you know the documentary filmmaker Werner Herzog um i know so Herzog is kind of like a legendary filmmaker and has is known to kind of like manipulate his sets a lot and sometimes he'll actually create uh scenarios that uh recreate the past or you know bring people in a space where it kind of exaggerates um reality per se right but the reason he but the reason he does that um he he doesn't stick stri- strictly just to the nonfiction you know just the footage that happened at the time because he's setting up that scenario um and kind of adding exaggerated elements to bring out the what he calls ecstatic truth like the the inner mm-hmm. truth of this situation that is more strongly palpably felt when you exaggerate certain elements you know when so you know, even Shia was talking about this in this latest interview when, you know, he was talking about how he was, you know, he had a really hard uh, childhood um, and he kind of exaggerated in the film when, you know, his dad was, you know, he made his dad like beat him in the film when he didn't really get beat that much. Right. Right. Um, so, OK, that's complicated because on one hand, that might be ethically a little wrong because he made he made his dad look bad. But yeah. if you're trying if if the purpose of the scene is to try to get someone to empathize with this kid um, who's getting beaten, then you're going to feel more for the kid if the kid is going through something more painful, if that makes sense. So it's like, Mm. as a storyteller, can you exaggerate certain things to, to make someone feel more of a way you want them to feel, or, or can you, you know, make something a little bit overblown so that it gets across the truth? I think that's, I think that's okay. You know, as long as it's not, you know, hurting people. I love the idea. As you just said, I mean, I love the idea of, I mean, if you look at like our Indian epics, right? We have a Lord Ganesha, mm. who's a human with a an elephant head. I mean, mm. that technically is violating so many of the animal activists. <laughs> it's violating. It's I don't know. That's it's hilarious. it's ableist. It's a disabled. Whatever it may be, but I mean, if you look at some of these epics, they're just brilliant for the fantastical mm. approach. Or look, you look at. Um, you mean something as more recent as Harry Potter or you look at Lord of the Rings. I mean, mm. a story is a story. And I, I believe that, you know, a joke is a joke and do anything to get the laugh, right? Like, um, yeah. I mean, I've done jokes about, you know, getting in an airport wheelchair and racing with a guy who has no legs. I mean, it's not that <laughs> I've never raced with someone who's a paraplegic, but the idea is just funny, right? And I know people in wheelchairs yeah. who've laughed at that, but someone's like, no, that's wrong. How can you? I'm like, no, I, I'm i not sitting and actually pushing someone off a wheelchair, but I'm telling you mm-hmm. what if it's it's just, it's a building, right? It's a building exercise of yeah. taking this to a uh, to a 
to an ending which might not realistically happen and I'd rather it happen in a story than in real life mm. and I think you know what's fascinating is we've come to accept this this construct called reality television which is scripted and unreal and then something mm. which is storytelling and we want to put confines on that <laughs> mm, that's a great point you know that's a great point yeah i mean they do that in reality shows all the time they i mean especially american tv where they'll manipulate things and get more of a reaction i mean there's yeah. an ethical element there where it's like is it right to kind of mess with people's hearts like that but anyway so i get what you're saying though where it's yeah. like yeah yeah when whenever a story can bring out more you know more of the punch i think yeah uh, because I mean, what do you feel like? Because you uh, obviously tell longer story. Like, so it's it's absolutely fine to brainwash an entire generation and make them do the same steps of a dance and get them going viral and aspire to be viral on TikTok, or tell them to be unique in their expression and tell the best story that they can think of. Because I feel, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, or give me uh, please chip in with your thoughts on this because. It's almost like you're killing imagination by putting these confines, right? Mm, mm, mm. Now, by confines, are you talking about like um, just like kind of the political correctness? Like All sorts of filters which people? are being added in, you know, like the right pronoun or the right kind uh, of uh, inclusion. Because I feel under the guise, and this is something I've kind of been thinking about because, you know, growing up, in a country in 1990 where disability awareness was low and as a person diagnosed with a visual impairment it was hard i mean access and i wouldn't say it was hard like persecution wise but there was ignorance but we've, 30 years later of course it's a better place with tech uh, development etc cetera, etc cetera. but i feel that's the same thing which i said earlier right we're saying the right things diversity inclusion but like the diversity inclusion equity etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's being more said than felt and I feel as a mm. process of inclusion, we're also also excluding by pointing at someone saying, because of them, you're like this, you know? Mm-hmm. I was just thinking as you were talking that um, we should all treat each other as equals. And what that means is we should all be able, like a comedian should be able to make fun of everyone equally, I feel yeah. like, is, is the thought that came up. It's yeah. like we should all be able to laugh at ourselves as as equally as anyone else is, is what I thought while you and were talking. Absolutely. That's something I really respect in, art, in artists, right? If you can, you know, you, you, and this, I, I don't know. I mean, it's confusing because of certain infra, certain structures, right? It's so easy to blame certain uh, groups of people because they've been dominating for years in each society, right? It could be the prosperous uh, in India, the Brahmin man, or in America, the white man, or whatever the person who is responsible for this for the for the idea of oppression. But I really like the idea of like as a guy who can't see going up on stage and trashing everyone, whether it's um, <laughs> whether it's uh, you know for I mean I I try I don't go after physical traits because that's something people don't have a choice. Uh, in mm-hmm. their life but with what you do it's like you know when you talk about someone in a wheelchair it's not because they're in a wheelchair but it's what they choose to say with those um, uh, you know with their situation and their, their, as a result the consequences is what you make fun of as opposed to mm-hmm. going after the physical trait which is I, I feel it gets really dirty and it gets really un, un, unnecessary but mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's quite fascinating the, the I mean I'm talking about the path forward as storytellers because you are a storyteller in in some way i'm a storyteller through this podcast and my jokes so yeah it's 
it's interesting because what what can we talk about? What can we tell stories about? Will those restrictions even come in there? You know, I'm curious. Do you have like uh, hardline rules that you will not cross, or like how do you approach your own comedy um, in terms of like how free range it is? You know, it's strange because I've, uh, as I told you, I've become a father recently. And um, I, I I think back when I started out, I was 29, 2000. And um, now I was 27 when I started out, uh, pretty late for a comedian. But at that point, the, the objective was more the attention, right? To get on stage, uh, publicly cuss, and, you know, mm-hmm. drop the F-bombs, the B-bombs. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can push mm-hmm. it more and more. Like, oh, my God, he got away. It's saying cunt on stage. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. But... Uh, that then slowly moved on to the stage of uh, kind of talking, uh, getting laughs. That then evolved to talking mm. about my uh, story, uh, being more comfortable mm. on stage, right? Talking about my vision, lack of vision, uh, navigating that journey. So there's been an, I wouldn't say evolution, but there's been a progression from when I started. And I think where I am mm. sitting today, I'm a little bit more, I don't know if mature is the right word, uh, but I don't say things just to get a reaction. Uh, mm. At least I don't want to say things just for shock value. I, I, at mm. the same time, I don't want to be too serious about what I say, right? Like leave my audience with mm. a message because I think that's not for me. That's not, maybe other comedians do it, but that's not for me. My thing is to get a laugh. And at the same time, it could be if something more profound, um, but it could be something really silly, like as some people might call dad jokes, right? So who knows? So I don't, I don't have any hard lines of no or yes, but mm. I'm a little bit more aware of the words I use. I'm also a little bit more aware of the people I involve in my jokes, whether mm. it's the story or the, 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 the what if escalation of the joke, uh, because mm. it's not about hurting feelings, but it's about, is it necessary? If I'm going to say mm. someone, uh, put someone in a certain light, is it more important than the consequences? Like, is that something which um, you can say and then sleep at night? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's well, where it's I like am. Today. Uh, respect, like a like is like is there a respect innate respect in it? Yeah, I'm okay to offend. I'm not that okay anymore to hurt someone's feelings. Yeah, 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 yeah. If that yeah, makes yeah. any sense. I think it does. I think it does. Like That's, I'll give you an example. I'm okay to offend someone yeah. for being a vegan, but I don't want to hurt the person who is the vegan. Mm. So I want to, I'm okay with the choices they make, not with hurting the person for who they are. I don't know. It's a little weird. It's a gray that's, area, that's but a, yeah. No, that's a good distinction. It's like when you're giving criticism or like if you're fighting with someone, make it about the problem, not the person, right? Or make it about yeah. the behavior and not the person. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, and that's why I'm not really sort of a- actively doing uh, shows and li- like live gigs. I, it's also, I want to sort of sort of soak in this experience right now because my my daughter's really, really small. I want to spend time with her and I don't want it to be like the comedian who just sort of sits in next to my baby and be like, okay, what are the first 10 jokes that come to your head? Oh, let's write about diapers. Mm-hmm. Let's write about pooping. Let's write about not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Let's write about breastfeeding because mm. it's, you don't experience life. Then you kind of just become this comedian who's sort of in the cave, as you put it, you know, and you don't, That's, and I feel the best comedy yeah. comes and the best stories as you might, um, might agree or might not is from living life. And then you look back going, you know, that was a great story to tell. 
Totally. That reminds me of Tick, Tick, Boom, um, because there's a very uh, there's a scene in there that it reminds me of. Like it's it's extremely to not give anything away. It's an extremely serious scene where things are going really wrong. But the main character is only thinking about how it's going to inspire the next play or like the scene and like the play that they're (laughs) writing. And they can't actually like, you know, just be there, you know, taking it in. Yeah. yeah. And how is that um, for you? at this point in time with the things that you have discovered about yourself and what drives you and um, this idea I of think... changing the world, uh, sorry, just to, just to finish that thought is that idea yeah. of changing the world is a very noble idea. Um, but what is uh, changing the world? Um, at least the meaning of that, how is that changed from what, you aspired to do with your work and changing the world to where it is now? Uh, what is the, has, has there been a profound shift in meaning? I think it is in the middle of shifting. Um, okay. And, you know, before I think my mentality was the world needs to be more peaceful, uh, empathetic, mm-hmm. and um, people need to be nicer to each other or, or whatever. Yeah. It just needs to be better. Um, and so it was, it was as if I was going out to show people how to be better. Um, okay. and through making these works that I would, I would, you know, essentially be spreading this message of how to be better. Now, you know, um, there's still a lot of that, but I think what I'm trying, what I'm really trying is how can I perceive the world, um, more accurately or, you know, not, perceive it with any distortions in my own lens or my brain and um if i am able to see the light of other people you know instead of judging them or if i'm able to see their beauty instead of first you know perceiving them from my own uh any judgment you know i mm. that that's the place where i want to get to i want to be able to meet everyone and 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 you know this is a really ambitious goal but i want to be able to perceive <laughs> everyone and see them as god essentially you know what i mean yeah. that's that's the goal you know um and it's so damn hard though right because the first it's so thing damn you hard see... <laughs> we're talking about like moksha we're like enlightenment like you know, that's this is like a real, real the highest you know whatever yeah. so I, I i i doubt i'll be able to you know make too much progress in one lifetime right but 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 no it's a great start though because I mean, just try trying to see uh, or meet a person and not go straight for their negative traits is so hard because um, yeah. I mean, whether they're, you know, they're, they're sort of in your personal space or they, they kind of drop a paper wrapper or they litter or whatever, right? You straight, go straight, straight for that or like, oh, that person's always on the phone and you, it's, it's kind mm-hmm. of, it, it gets a reaction and it's automatic. Yeah. yeah, imagine like you met, uh, you, or you're on your way to meet a few friends at a bar or something, and then you meet uh, about 10 people on the subway, and when you get to the bar, people are like, yeah, how was your ride here? And you're like, man, you know that person? I saw I saw this idea of hope and, and love in his eyes, and it made me feel, as opposed to, oh, man, that guy was smelly. He almost nicked my wallet. <laughs> you know, oh, which yeah. one? Oh, you man. Know? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, we're so conditioned to sort of bring out we're that. because so conditioned. Oh, my gosh. I mean... We have, like, I'll tell you, I have, I still have, we all do the most absurd thoughts, like, you know, like walking down a street, like, oh, what would happen if I just punched this guy in the face and got him a fight or, you know, just like the most absurd things. And then, and then, and then, 
And then also the hard thing is like not judging yourself for having those thoughts too. Cause yeah. in the past I'd be like, why the heck did I even think that? Or like, yeah. you know, the thoughts go much darker than that. Like we're talking oh, yeah. about real dark shadow, Carl Jung, like real, like really dark. Yeah. Um, and to not judge myself for that too, is what I'm working on as well. Cause like it's, it's, uh, one of my favorite spiritual teachers talks about like, you have to adopt your ego like a pet. It's doing yeah. its job. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's like, and, and the one advice he gives is like, give your ego a name, like a really silly name. So like, mm. you know, call your ego like Jigglypuff or like, you know, yeah. Billy Bob or something. It's like, oh, I know Jigglypuff. I know you want to just go over there and murder him and you know, yeah. throw him off the roof and things like that. And, He's one of yeah, those obnoxious yeah, know, friends you want to keep uh, in check. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, here goes that guy after a few just, drinks. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just him being him, you know? <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I used to be really hard on myself about, uh, you know, whatever thoughts I would have too. And, 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 but that too is ego because it's, that's still a judgment, you know? So it's, um, you know, it's, it's about creating a space, I think, um, as, as wide as possible to actually embrace. And, you know, I talk about this in the TED talk, but like just radical acceptance first, like just, I think that's number, that's step number one. It's like whatever you feel, just creating super, big space to see it as it is without trying to escape from it and tim ferris he he quoted this other spiritual teacher who was talking about the only important question in life or something like that uh is what are you trying to not feel and 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 if you're able to figure out what you're trying to not feel like it'll it'll allow you to you know be a lot more self-aware and go to the next stage of maturity because i think uh most of us are trying to run away from stuff whether we know it or not I think that's a nice approach. Most of us are trying to control what we feel. Like we want to feel positive. We want to feel empathetic. We want to feel compassion. We want to feel love. But I think it's easier. Not easier, but I think it's a nice direction to figure out what you don't want to feel. I don't want to to wake up in the morning feeling animosity. I don't want to wake up in the morning feeling insecure. You know, I think that's um, that's a great point. I think so. I mean, I've been reflecting on this for myself. It's like, I notice myself and all of us, you know, we, I, I keep trying to chop off one entire half of the human spectrum of pain. I don't yeah. want, you know, I don't want pain. So I keep trying to just feel good and happy all the time. So, but the question is, how can I, you know, create space for all of it? And, and, and do you do it through you know, heroin or do you do it through like small little steps? That, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's different ways to do it, right? You yeah. Know, yeah. Different, different situations. But, I read about, you know, these figures in the Bible or these other spiritual texts that talk about being in joy and suffering. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Like, how can you be in joy and suffering? And, but I feel like I'm just knocking at the door and just getting a glimpse of the first, like, when you are coming from giving, uh, and when you truly love yourself, you're able to, um, I don't want to say like take on suffering and, and as if like it's something you should do and, you know, pursue pain or something like that. But it's like there's a purpose to it now, you know, and, and when you have a faith, I think, you know, that there is a larger order at play that is beyond your rational thought that is operating at the level of heart and not the mind. Because when you're in your mind, you're always trying to figure out, like, how do I just get to the better place? How do I get to the other side? How do I figure this out and get what I want? And you know, that's you trying to run away from stuff. Whereas if you're operating from heart, it's like, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to do really hard things. And sometimes you have to stab people in the front, you have to tell them things you don't like, or they don't like, you know, because you love them, right. 
Um, you know, just from what you're t- telling me right now, one uh, a thing you a, a book or rather it's, it's a it's a lecture. I'm listening to it on Audible. Um, it's by Osho. It's called Take It Easy, and I think you'll mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the themes he talks about. I, I'm still not even close to completing it, listening to it. But like just off the top, like in the beginning, he talks about the heart versus the mind, and I think you might enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I think you might enjoy listening to that. Mm-hmm. So just. Uh, uh, recommendation it's a it's i think it's pretty old it called? Uh, it's called take it, take easy, it, easy. Take it easy by osho okay. i mean it's, it's i think from many years back but it's still so relevant um yeah he he was definitely tuned into something i mean every time yeah. he talks like just from the clips i've seen on youtube there's like uh he's so still inside mm. and he speaks with such a like uh, you know i guess you can call it confidence but there's like uh there's like a weight you know, to what he's saying, you know, it's not coming from the mind. It's it's just definitely not coming from the heady space. Yeah, I think that's true because he, it's not about the diction, about the flow of words, but the, 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 the flow of idea is not in that moment. It's coming from beyond that. Mm. 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 Like mm. we have to think about what we are saying. He doesn't. Mm. Like at least it doesn't sound like that's he's a... made up the answer. Yeah. Mm, that's that's a great way to put it yeah it's almost like uh yeah he's just watching what's being said he's just a conduit to the message almost you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. But that's yeah, no, like no, a really you. deep level of surrender huh yeah it's scary right and he talks about that he talks I, I mean i don't want to sort of take away his words but he says something to the effect of the we are scared of letting go of the ego because that's in some way a death for us but we shouldn't be scared because it's a false death. In fact, if you surrender to the mm. actual death, which is letting go to your heart, that is the most beautiful death because that's there's no fear or something to that effect. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things which I can understand the words, but I don't know if I, I'm ready to feel it yet because imagine of the, everything that we know and we sort of have held and come to value, which is our relationships, our sense of self going, I am Sandeep Rao, this person who does this, 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 this. Imagine just saying, you know what, whatever people say, let them say it because it means nothing. That's such a hard thing to accept, right? That That's a really powerful level of yeah then 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 you start to have things form around you instead of you having to you know go out and, and get things done that's it it's a yeah. yeah it's almost like you you create a field of gravity versus uh you know relying on your own action anymore yeah it, and that's i think that's a really nice example because once you make the space in yourself by taking out all these attachments this ego it then you sort of as you said the gravity you start attracting the right kind of influences if you want to call it or the right kind of elements to fill up your being mm. and you don't give it an mm. attachment saying that is my um mm. thing you know but i don't know yeah, it's, you it's don't have to try to control anymore yeah mm. and, and for me now with my baby here it's like a new uh thing which i have to let go of right like not controlling mm. because she's four months old she obviously doesn't know what's going on around her but then people say things oh. uh people sort of make um you know they, they want to create their role in her life and give it importance and then that, that upsets you and you're like oh how can they say that or how can they do more for me my baby than me mm. then someone told me like just realize that she doesn't want any of this everyone else is doing it she has no say so when she does you have to be the person who doesn't interfere in her, her um 
awareness of the world around her because that's the mistake wow. or that's the problem sometimes when you sort of start putting your perceptions and interfering with mm. her uh way of mm. how she you know so it's such a it's such wow. an interesting thing yeah it's scary as hell man <laughs> that's like uh that that's a total game changer like yeah. in terms of uh just the level of uh vigilance that 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 your child is asking for and that's wow. the thing you just said not feeling like i don't that's the biggest thing not don't come in the way is probably the best thing you can do as a parent <laughs> mm. yeah deceptively hard it's like yeah it's like just being very present to because yeah. i mean a baby is like total pure just like just pure yeah. just just consciousness right it's wow. pure consciousness and you know this i had this person on uh, the podcast a few months back um i can't believe i forgot his name he's a professor um at uh, princeton right Uh, and he was mm-hmm. talking about how with parenting he said a really nice thing that's why I bring it up is his daughter is going to university i think this year and he said you know what I, i try to make it a point not to be proud of my child but admire her for what she is and who she's become i find that Ooh. amazing you know wow wow and i think that sort of caps wow. the sort of puts it in a nice perspective right that there's mm. this person they've become as opposed to you your creation Mm, who they are yeah as and, they are yeah of course yeah. with you have to protect them you have to guide them you have to sort of give them you have to protect you have to be some sort of uh person in their life but they are not a product of you so with good or bad yeah. you have to let them yeah. sort of become um what they are going to become yeah i don't know it's difficult Man. it's difficult sitting here right now and trying to sort of understand that but it was a really nice way of putting it wow but um hey i want to i, I want to ask you a couple of things about the situation right now you are in with post <clears throat> because are you um have you always lived in new york so i've been in la since 2015 to 2022 and okay. then uh well i'm i'm just in atlanta visiting my parents right now so i'll go back oh, probably okay. until the end of the year i'll be in la And then, oh, you're uh, living you're in Atlanta this, right now. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought uh, you were in New York. Uh, and then working out of LA mostly, and then, um, but yeah, I have I have a lot of uh, desire just to travel a lot next year, mm. and so the mode of life I'm in is, um, yeah, I'm just very intentionally trying to be present and not, you know, rush into anything too much, and you know, almost like a sabbatical, I think, of sorts, and. I was actually going to take a sabbatical like a, a year ago until I got this new opportunity and then and then I was busy for a year. So after mm. that, you know, I I left that job in April and so I'm thinking about, oh, maybe I should legit do the sabbatical next year. Yeah, so nice. a lot of travel, just getting inspired and yeah, pouring into myself, which I think uh is I've never regretted travel in my life, so I think it'd be a That's nice good. thing to do. Yeah. So I want to understand this this thing I try to sort of get an individual uh, and not the media's representation of what's going on on the ground. Mm. Um so with Atlanta there was this horrible thing last year with the shooting and um mm. there was the, the the protests and the it seems to be it seems to be this pattern there's a shooting there's a protest and that's the end of that story. I'm mm. like <laughs> as mm. an outsider mm. but mm. with LA being the sort of The, the the mixing pot on the melting pot for so many different mm. people just american but also non american people coming for mm-hmm. hollywood and the arts etc and being mm-hmm. from atlanta which of course um is also a very sort of big city so how has that shaped your uh i, I mean you are i mean do you call yourself an asian american what is the right word i don't know um i think um 
This is a very interesting question because growing up, I never mm. actually thought of myself like um like th- this might sound a little silly, but I just thought of myself as a person versus like Asian American, and I never yeah. really like a lot of my friends actually talk about instances where they've experienced like racism or microaggression, and I actually feel like I've almost never experienced that. But I don't mm. know if it's because maybe I was just ignorant or not, you know, paying not much attention to it, but. Um, I mean, I was the only Asian American, uh, in middle school. Um, and then, you know, I guess elementary school, but, but, um, then that's I was really amazing Korea. you say that because that's why I asked, kind of wanted to bring that up because I don't, um, know the right terms or I don't get upset by the wrong terms, like whether it's Indian American, American Indian, whatever. Um, I'm, mm. But I wonder, yeah, that's a really interesting thing you said. Sorry for cutting you off. It's just that I wanted to uh, get your thoughts more on that point is when you're looking for something, it kind of happens, whether it's good or bad. So if you're looking to be mm. uh, not consciously or not on the thing going, I'm going to get upset today, but it's almost like people are looking for more. I, I'm, I'm not saying this is a, a thing that they do intentionally to hurt themselves or to get more attention. But it's almost like we're living in a world where people are, are just, uh, the outlook is more like, I'm going to be, um, uh, I'm going to have a racist comment hurled at me and it happens. Like self-victimization. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to understand how, I mean, because it's really interesting. You mentioned that you didn't have those instances in your life. And was that uh, because you didn't, I mean, as you said, you didn't look for it, but so you grew up in a country which is really diverse. It's a very diverse country. And that's what I, I loved about America. And I lived there as well. I lived in a small town in Oregon, which didn't mm. really have too much, too many Indians visiting it. I mean, of course, uh, close to it was, you know, Hillsboro, where of course, Intel and Nike and all the big tech companies mm. have their factories. So, I mean, their offices, obviously Indians working out there, but it was a really nice experience in this little town called McMinnville, Oregon, because I I could just be, you know, be not an Indian guy there. I could just be a guy. And of course, uh, mm. with the good and the bad. Um, mm. so, but I felt when I visited San Francisco in 2015 or 16, it felt like everyone's just trying to be someone like and wrap mm. themselves around these different uh, with these different identities, right? Whether it's mm. Indian, whether mm. it's Desi, whether it could be, you mm-hmm. know, other things as well. It could be vegan. It could be, you know, like yeah. uh, <laughs> whatever it may be. It could be um, <laughs> yeah. these, 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 these labels. So how is that? Because it seems like Atlanta and LA are two maybe similar yet vastly different cities. So sorry, it was a question yet a thought. I kind of cut you off. So maybe if you could just. No worries. Of, no worries. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I can't say I've really, like, if I'm being really honest, like, I actually don't think about these things too much. <laughs> okay. That's good, I think. Yeah. In terms, like, 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 I think that a lot of people, like, if we're speaking from, like, an objective, like, the highest level of truth kind of thing, like, I believe that we are not our bodies, you know, and and and, and in many ways, people are very attached to their worldly identities which includes you know most of the things you're able to see on the outside or or you know your sexuality things like this mm-hmm. but um yeah it's i think that has its place and it's very important for the representation and diversity and things like that um but beyond that i think uh you know there's there's 
there's a there's a probably many more stages beyond that too where you know you don't have to stick so hard with you know being you know an asian american who needs to represent his people or something like that or um or you know some some person with a you know different kind of sexuality or something but it's it's interesting as i say that i think at the same time i i do think you have to know your role because we're all playing roles like we're all manifest as a certain type of physical form right in in this world as human beings so the 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 best example i can think of of someone ignoring or trying to deny their role is like oj simpson who was very famous uh football player super successful but moved into this rich white neighborhood and when you know the black community came to him to try to say hey can you you know help us as a voice like you're really successful like you know come on over like you know help us out and he actively tried to dissociate with yeah. his own community and his roots, right? Yeah. Which I think that's, I don't think that's healthy. I think that, you know, if you have an opportunity to highlight uh, injustice or something that's um, discrimination and you have the ability to say something about it because of your position, I think it's, I think it's only a good thing to do so, right? Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's not right that you're like ignoring, ignoring your role. It's like, it's like, you know, I can't, I can't just, I can't, come up to you one day and just say i'm 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 not korean american like that is a part of my uh current you know manifestation in this lifetime right um yeah so there is a certain role but i'm also not super attached to it either like in in the role i think there's a good there's good things i can do but you know that's not the end all be all you know my life is not i don't dedicate my life to try to stand for asian american principles like that's just not my highest goal my highest goal is god you know yeah yeah um and but on but on the worldly level if something happens where like you know korean americans are being discriminated against and i can do something about it then i will you know of course Um, and that's the i mean you don't have to be an advocate at the same time you don't have to be someone who just stands by as you know whatever's done which is not right yeah now mm -hmm. i've been to i've been to seoul it's a beautiful city and i think one of the nice places i've been to um it's great yeah, actually, you know, the strange thing is my wife and I uh, went to Seoul for free and came back. It was one of those weird oh, nights. Oh, how did that happen? So we, we had gone out for a uh, date night <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. we were having a couple of drinks at the bar. And the uh, bartender's like, we have this promo going on for Johnny Walker Red Label. And we're like, oh, God, wouldn't touch Johnny Walker Red Label if you gave it to me for free. And he's like, actually, it is for free. And if you scratch this card, there's a chance of you winning a trip to Seoul in oh, Korea really? and I'm like Whoa. yeah right so my wife scratched the card wow. I scratched the card and mine's like uh, you have to call this number and answer a question so I was like I'm not going to do it I'm here to drink and have a cigarette and my wife's like you know I'm going to try she tried it and she won wow <laughs> yeah. that's amazing that's like, and what are the chances of that that's I know crazy. it was crazy and she took me along fortunately and we got a three night or four night trip uh, we stayed at the, one of these hotels in, uh, what's it called? Namdi Moon, which is an area near, uh, mm. um, it's not near Gangnam, but it's close to Gangnam. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm not a big meat eater, but you know, the, the tour guide is like, you know what, you're Indians visiting. We've got all the Indian restaurants mapped out. My wife's like, are you crazy? I'm not coming to Seoul eating Indian food. So then they changed the entire thing. We had Korean barbecue and she loved it. Like the ah, uh, pork the belly. Yeah. All of that. So I, I, I like the food. I mean, I, I like the kimchi. I like the chicken. I, I mean, it was really, really um lovely because you know i never thought i'm going to visit south korea uh seoul in my um sort of in the foreseeable future but we went it was out of the blue and really loved it 
And oh, that's, um, that's out of the blue. I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. I was just there in January. It's just it's got it's got everything. I mean, it's India so too. I I I went there maybe nine years ago, and I mm. I mean. It's probably my favorite place that I traveled. Actually, I just thought it was the most visceral. Like the history yeah. is so deep. Like it's just so it's just so diverse. It's just goddamn so damn big too. I remember riding yeah. on a train from Mumbai to New Delhi, and just like sights I was seeing, the people I met, and this, the 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 food and everything. It was. It's probably yeah. It's just I don't know. It's so palpable, visceral. You know? There is a big part of that. I think to India, you know, the problem is I think we and what we've spoken about today as well as we get caught up in the noise of. What is being said online, like with the advocates, mm. the people shouting about justice and this thing, but mm, actually, the the, yeah, the country the country runs on, as you said, the there is God, there is poverty, there is uh, everything happening, and it's happening simultaneously in the chaos. Everything. And India really brings that to life, right? They have people. Who, That's a good way to would put it. Yeah. I remember getting out of the airport and just being hit like with like the sight smells and the temperature yeah. and the humidity and like, wow, like this is. It was the most visceral place I've ever visited in my life, probably. Yeah, yeah and I think a lot of people, especially uh, coming from certain parts of Europe and certain, I mean, a lot of America are just like blown away because it's yeah. so much to take in. And especially say you're yeah, living yeah. like in some part of rural Rochester and you land in Bombay, Mumbai. He was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I the mean, body... Mumbai especially, like, holy yeah. moly. I remember, yeah, there's just so much around that. Actually, I remember when I was on the train, like how big Mumbai was. It took like two hours to get out of there. Yeah. It was so big. I mean, it takes like me by surprise. Jungle. I come from oh, Bangalore, yeah. which is in the south, and it's not a small city by any means. I think the city of nine million people. That's and huge. I land yeah. in Bombay, and I'm just like, whoa! It's it's Bombay just sort of, is a beast. It is a beast. Yeah, it's a beautiful experience. You know, like you uh, you don't have time to be woke <laughs> you don't have time mm. you know you just mm. have to live that, that, that Bombay brings that yeah, out yeah, in yeah, yeah. people that's a, that's a good way you have 30,000 people living in a building I don't think you have time to be like you know yeah. that's my thing but yeah you tend to kind of mm. sitting on your computer you only hear those people but it's not all of that I think that's nice to remind ourselves you know mm. but uh mm. so so Ian before we wrap up can you just tell me about um what you're doing because I, I I'm keen to know more about um jubilee and you spoke about that and what your yes. um aspirations going forward are or the projects you're yeah. taking up so maybe can you talk about that yeah definitely so jubilee i rounded out my time in 2020 okay. and then for a year i was at a company called mindset which was kind of like an audio storytelling platform for celebrities and k-pop stars and Mm. Um, and then after it, so I did that for a year and now, um, I made a production company with a friend. So we used to work at nice. Jubilee together, but nice. the production company is called Nourish. Um, mm. nourish.art is the website and it's very young. We just started it up, but we're aiming to just make very, just working with mission oriented brands and individuals to, you know, help them make documentaries, commercials and uh, short form content. And then, you know, hopefully our own long form stuff in the long term too. So it just started up. I mean, I'm literally just about to sit down tomorrow and write, you know, like our strate strategy and vision mission statement, things like that. So nice. very, very, very beginning, but, but I think um, the near future, I think I'm, I'm very interested in just traveling a lot too. So you know, if anyone out there has international projects to hire us for, for Nourish, uh, hit, hit me up. Hey, I was and just going to talk uh, about that. Uh, I've got something. We'll talk about it after the call. Um, nice. Amazing. I've, amazing. I've got an idea, which I'm trying to figure out how to execute. And it's just one of those things, you know, the path is so 
thing where you have to go, you have to approach this, you have to approach that. And, you know, before you even start venturing out to meet people and talking, you kind of get shot in the foot, like you shoot yourself in the foot, you're getting overwhelmed by how much it is to market it as opposed to the idea. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been, I've been kind of paralyzed. It's like, oh, okay, how should we go about marketing things like that? But, um, yeah. But no, that's yeah, great. I was, I was that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Nourished out art. But, um, yeah, one step at a time. And, you know, I realize, uh, I'm just trying to be very present to what my heart is telling me. And I think I've been, I've been relying on my mind a bit too much to try to figure things out or find the right answer. So now I'm just trying to, you know, not, not figure out the perfect answer. Just, just step forward, you know, just, do whatever it is that I feel just stepping forward and seeing what happens and falling on my face, getting up and doing it again. <laughs> Man, that takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of, I think, conscious, um, you know, living. I would say courage, mm -hmm. but courage is also something I'm sure you have because you wouldn't have done what you've done with the things that you have uh sort of chosen to do with, if you didn't have that courage. But I think it's fantastic and mm -hmm. good luck with that. And, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, it's fascinating, you know, to see, um, I mean, maybe it's, it's this, how, how, for a person like who's, um, you know, uh, grown up in America, what, what, how is your, um, how, rather you and your family, and how, how do you receive this whole explosion of K-pop? Like, how has that been for you? Cause it's such, you know, I was actually yeah. thinking of that before because we live, we live in a time when, um, everyone is, you know, uh, well, there's two camps, you know, there's, there's people trying to be perfect, you know, and no yeah. matter what it takes. And I did that for a while. And then, and then there are people who are, you know, trying to be more authentic because it, it's splitting like that. But anyways, yeah. K-pop is so damn popular because everyone is perfect. Like you see, they, they're like gods on earth. There's, they don't have pores on their skin. You know what I mean? Like they're just yeah. porcelain dolls. Uh, so um, how I feel about it, I think yeah. it's uh, I think it's a symptom of, um, you know, people trying to be perfect and K-pop is perfect. It's the epitome of cool. There's an amazing craft and intention that goes behind it. But um, it's going to continue to rise because of that, you know. Um, yeah, when I, I was watching side, a BTS video the other day, the way they choreographed that is crazy. It is crazy, dude. Yeah. It's there's like hundreds and hundreds, thousands. I mean, it's a whole industry designed to create perfection essentially which is amazing i mean they had some some amazing some amazing accomplishment um but i don't I, yeah i don't want to make it feel like i sound like i'm like judging k-pop but but i but i do think it's successful because they are yeah. you know perfect image cur curationists cur curators yeah and then you have me going on stage without a set <laughs> yeah i mean i love that that's why i love that though because it's like the opposite you know i, yeah. I think we need more of that I just the other day, yesterday, actually, my brother's friend, they're all in college. They're like Gen Z, right? They're showing me a social media app called uh, Be Real, which I think, you know, all the Gen Z people listening right now is going to think I'm so old. But it's an app <laughs> where, you know, you're not supposed to post curated photos. It just, you know, random time. You oh, have is this the one whatever. where you simultaneously take a front facing and back facing? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's clearly, you know, a much of a very growing market for what you're doing, you know, like very mm. real, you know, unscripted. So and I'm more interested in that, uh, too, because I think it just it's it's it's, you know, when you watch someone, uh, I don't know, just be human. I don't know. There's something very appealing to that. Yeah. Now, and that's why I love these conversations, because there's no uh, 
thing I, yeah. I I started with. You know, I don't want to sort of paint you in any certain um, mm. or portray you like oh, a f- filmmaker. You know, E and G. It's not, none of that. It's like all of you uh, because. I, I kind of mm-hmm. learn about myself. It's a bit selfish, but I learn about myself when I talk to people like you. And because I think it's so important to know that while you are you and you have all your experiences and you've got these things that you've constructed for yourself, it's important to also understand that you aren't all of it. There are so many people simultaneously mm-hmm. going through that experience. And I think these conversations really bring that out. And people listening as well, really, I think can remind themselves in some situations, hey, I'm not alone. At the same time, I'm not the only shit that matters, you know? <laughs> oh, so yeah, I think that's definitely. Very, yeah. No, I'm yeah. so glad I mean, that I think, you could do this. No, thank you very much. I mean, even listening to myself and uh, there's, there's, I mean, I don't know, just interacting with diverse people all around the world and connecting, it, it, it's, people should do it more often. I'm very grateful that, you know, you've kind of invited me to do this and I feel like I've learned a lot and, um, yeah, and to do it in a real way, I think I very much appreciate the authenticity that and, and the space you create for people just to speak openly and and in a way where they don't feel judged. So uh, thank you, Sandeep. Hey, my pleasure. And can you direct people if they want to check out your work? Uh, can you direct sure. them to the right site? Or I can also ask Somna to link it later. Mm-hmm. The production company that we run right now is just nourish.art mm-hmm. uh, and then you can find me, uh, my, my own website is ienchi.com. And then, uh, my Instagram is Ian the Korean, one word, I E N the Korean. That rhymes. That's, that's quite nice. Yeah, yes, <laughs> I like yes. it. I think I made it's it in nice. like sixth grade or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Ian, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the new venture. Good luck with, um, your revelations and good luck with your journey within. Likewise. Thank you so much, Sandeep. Uh, Looking forward to the next time. Cheers. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.